In the middle of an empty field, a man wearing a backpack lies dead. There are no other clues visible. How did he die? Do you remember the, those puzzles? Uh, when I was growing up, we used to tell them a lot. And the idea is that you would keep asking a question that has a yes-no answer until you could find out what was behind the puzzle. And the, the, the solution was always quite simple. Uh, in this case, you needed to work out that the backpack had a parachute inside that hadn't opened and he jumped out of a plane. That's simple. That's how he died. Uh, what about this one? A man walks into a bar and asks the bartender for a glass of water. But the bartender takes out a gun and aims it at the man's head. The man says, thank you, and walks out. Well, it's very strange. Until you work out, by asking questions, that the man wanted the water to fix his hiccups. And the bartender scared him by taking out the gun, cured his hiccups. It's pretty simple. Now, some people love these, and they won't give up until they find the answer. Other people just get annoyed and walk away. It doesn't bother them if they don't solve the, solve the puzzle. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here with parables. They're puzzles with a simple point. But it's not obvious, so you have to think and ask questions. And then if you work at it, it'll make sense and things will be clearer. But other people just see nonsense and they walk away and things are less clear. The puzzle confirms them in their ignorance. In some ways, it hardens them, it makes them harder. Now that's a bit different to the way lots of people understand puzzles, uh, understand parables. Uh, they think of parables as illustrations that explain things to make things easier. But in lots of ways, the surprising thing is that it's the opposite. They hide things. Parables are more like a test to find out who wants to listen. They're like a net that separates people into two groups. Those who want to understand and those who don't. You can see that there in verse 10. The disciples come to Jesus and ask, why do you speak to people in parables? Which is what he's been doing. Back up in verse 1, he's been teaching huge crowds down by the lake. There are so many people, he has to hop in a boat so he doesn't get pushed back into the water. In verse 3, he teaches them many things in parables. And there are some like the disciples who want to understand, who ask questions. And Jesus says in verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Did you see that? There are two groups. There are one like the disciples who ask more questions. And God gives them knowledge about the kingdom of heaven as they think about the parable, they discover the secret. And then it seems like there's the majority of the crowd who just enjoy the, the, the entertainment, but walk away at the end of the day and move on. That was interesting, they say. I wonder what's for dinner. The two groups and the parables work differently depending on which group you're in. Uh, verse 12, Jesus says, whoever has will be given more as they think about the parables and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. God is at work when you hear a parable. And that's the case whether it's Jesus telling the story back then or us telling our friends about Jesus. 
Perhaps you've had the experience of telling someone about Jesus, maybe a friend or a family member, and after a while, they know all the facts. They know the information, but they just don't get it. They're smart. They understand. They they comprehend what you're saying, but something just doesn't connect. It's as if they're deaf. And yet there's other people. God makes them curious and they're excited by what they hear and they just soak it up. It's God who opens their ears. He gives them understanding and faith. It's like someone's turned on a switch and they can see things clearly. They're the two groups of people. We need to keep praying that God will be at work because it's him that's at work through our words. And God's at work in the teaching of Jesus just like fishing that's probably happening in the boats all around them on the lake. Uh, nets catch fish, all sorts of fish, and then the fishermen sort them into good and bad. And Jesus is doing that. He's caught all sorts of people in that great crowd down by the lake. And parables are sorting them. The good fish who want to know more, it's like an itch. They keep scratching but the others are tossed back. They're blind and deaf and dull. Jesus goes on to say that in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And he goes on. It's just like back in Isaiah's time, 700 years before. Isaiah kept preaching God's message of repentance to Israel, but it just made them harder. It didn't soften them at all, it made them harder. Verse 14, Jesus says, In them, the the people who are hearing Jesus, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. The more they hear, the deafer they get. It's like industrial deafness. The words have just made their hearts hard and calloused. It's like when you play the guitar a lot. You get calluses on your fingers. I've got one hand that's got calluses and the other hand that's smooth on the ends of the fingers. The skin gets thick and you can't feel anything. And that's what it was like for the people of Isaiah's time, except they had calloused hearts. They couldn't feel anything. The message, instead of softening their hearts, toughened it toughened their hearts. And Jesus says it was like that in his time as well. We've seen it in the events leading up to today's chapter. Last week, chapter 12, the Pharisees have heard what he said, but they're criticising him for his disciples eating grain on the Sabbath. Then they criticise him for healing a man on the Sabbath. Then they say Jesus is casting out demons because he's the prince of demons. And then they've got the arrogance, on top of all of that, to ask Jesus for a sign, despite having seen all the miracles and hearing all the teaching. That's a calloused heart. And it's just that sort of symptom that the Israelites have as well. Hard, calloused hearts, deaf to God. And so Jesus' first parable, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, this is the first parable that gets told, It's describing that process, that process of some hearing and some not. This is a parable about parables. This is the key that helps you unlock the ones that come. It's about how 
the parables are more like a puzzle to be solved or fishing that separates than an illustration to make things clearer. So verse 3, a farmer sows some seed. Maybe Jesus could even see a farmer from where he sat in the boat. And he takes a handful of seed and he throws it out across the ground Then he takes out another handful and throws it in the other direction. And as it does, it lands in different places. Some of it lands on the path. Birds come along behind him and they eat it up and the seeds do nothing. Some lands off in the corners of the field where there are plenty of rocks but not much soil. Uh, The plants begin to grow but the roots have got nowhere to dig down and so there's no staying power in the plants. They shrivel up and die on the first hot day. Other seed lands off on the edges where the weeds blow in from the desert. There's plenty of soil there, but there's plenty of competition. And as the plants grow, so do the weeds. And everybody knows weeds grow better than the plants who actually want to grow. certainly works that way in my garden. And the weeds choke the plants. But then there's a good soil, and if the farmer's any good at all, most of the seed is going to land there. And there the soil produces a rich harvest. And down in verse 18, Jesus explains what all that means to to the disciples who've come to ask, who've asked that question, you know, how do I puzzle this out? And he tells them the secret of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom begins with a message, begins when people hear a call to live with God as king. And people respond in different ways to that message. Verse 19, some people with calloused, hard hearts, they do nothing. And Jesus says they don't understand it because Satan snatches away the message. Satan hardens hearts. Satan changes priorities. Satan distracts whatever it takes so the message won't connect. That's the path. Or verse 20, a different type of person. Some people love the idea of knowing and serving the God who made them and saved them. And they they jump in, boots and all. But they don't last. The roots of the message don't sink down deep into them. There's only a superficial commitment. Maybe it's Sunday mornings is all they'll give. But that means as soon as difficulties come, it all gets too hard and they give up. Difficulties, maybe it's sickness or unemployment or persecution. That's the rocky soil. In verse 22, there's the thorny soil. Uh, These people accept the good news about being forgiven and serving Jesus and, and the roots are growing into them deeply. They look great. But as life goes on, other things begin to grow into their life as well. Good things, even, begin to crowd out the kingdom. Family, work, sport, renovations, holidays, entertainment, and God's kingdom gradually slips down the list of priorities from number one until it's not even in the top ten. These sorts of people normally don't make a conscious decision to stop living as being a Christian, to stop living as a Christian. It's just that the kingdom becomes more and more irrelevant to them and the kingdom of self uh, becomes more important. 
And so there we've got three different types of people who haven't understood the secret about the kingdom. Uh, Three types of people who had a little, but that little was taken away. And that's what's going on all around Jesus as he spreads the seed. But the good news is that's not everyone. For some people, like the disciples, the seed takes root and it grows deep and it grows strong and it doesn't get crowded out. And it produces fruit that the kingdom grows bigger. It it grows bigger inside individuals who hand over more and more of their life to God and living his way. But it also grows bigger as more and more people repent and believe. The kingdom spreads from one person to another, one family to another, one region and race and country to another, as it spreads across borders and oceans and languages despite persecution and fear, that's fruit. 30, 60, 100 times. And it's been growing like that for 2,000 years. And as Jesus tells other parables, these teach us that it will keep growing. Uh, Like the tiny mustard seed that ends up growing into the biggest plant in the garden. Uh, That... uh, Famous theologian Paul Kelly put it like this, from little things, big things grow. That's the kingdom. It starts small and it will finish big. Or, verse 33, like yeast, a tiny amount can work its way through a whole batch. I don't know if you've got a footnote as to to what the batch of flour is there, but I have a feeling it was something like 15 litres of flour or something, some huge amount. Um, that's a lot of flour, isn't it? That's a tiny bit of yeast, like, you know, like a handful of yeast will work into that much flour. God's kingdom is like that. You can't see yeast, but it changes everything. Or verse 24, this one's a bit different. It's got a sting in the tail. The kingdom grows like a crop of wheat. But an enemy comes and plants weeds into the field. Now, during the season, the two plants look similar, but when it comes time for harvest, the difference is obvious. In verse 30, the weeds will be ripped out, bundled up and thrown into the fire, but the wheat gets gathered and brought into the barn. And so Jesus says the kingdom's like that. Now, here's another puzzle for the disciples to think about. Are they listening? Are they seeing? They work hard to understand. Once again, they come and ask Jesus what's going on. Because God has given them the secrets of the kingdom and they want to know more. They come and ask for the explanation. Verse 37, Jesus is sowing the message of the kingdom, just like the first parable. The wheat begins to grow, people growing more like Jesus. But then Satan plants some different seed. And there's a different sort of growth, the sons of the evil one. And as life goes on, it's hard to tell the difference between the two, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one. That's describing the time we live in now, between Jesus' first visit and his return. The world is a mixture of those two different types of plants, and it can be hard to tell the difference. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? It's saying that two groups of people might look very similar. Wheat that looks like weeds. Or, turn it around, weeds that actually look like wheat. God is patient with people. That's the master of the harvest who says to the servants, no, don't go and reap yet, just wait. 
God is patient with people. He's giving them time to show that they are wheat, even though they look like weeds. There are people out there who look like weeds, who look like they're living, who are living as non-Christian lives. And yet God has chosen them. And in his timing, maybe it will be you who tell them the gospel and they'll be shown to be wheat. That's why God's delaying judgment, uh, so that what look like weeds will be shown to be wheat. But flip it around, one day, verse 40, God's patience will run out. Jesus says that day is harvest day, judgment day. At that point, the difference will be obvious. Jesus will send out his angels to weed out uh, everything that's evil and sinful and they'll be thrown into the furnace. But verse 43, the righteous, the wheat, will shine like the sun. So two different groups. Which group are you in? That's a good question to ask. The scary thing is you could look like wheat but actually be weeds. You might think you're a Christian because you look like the people around you. What type of plant are you, wheat or weeds? If Jesus is right, then no question matters more. If Jesus is right, it doesn't depend on what your life looks like. Uh, These two plants look similar, but it depends on how you listen, on what type of soil you are. If you've got ears, whether you're listening, what do you do with the message Jesus brings? Make sure you hear. Well, that's the main application for today. Hear. Listen well. So are you listening? Be an active listener. Be good soil. If you don't understand it first, keep asking questions. Ask. Read. Uh, Let the roots of the message dig down into your life. Don't be rocky. Where your your roots are shallow. Don't be half-hearted or distracted or preoccupied like the weeds. Be good, soft, moist, fertile soil. Let the message about Jesus drill down into every part of your life. Meditate on God's word. Fill your head with it. Make it your treasure. Let it shine its light into every dusty room. Read, study, prioritise. Buy some books. Dust off the books you bought but haven't read podcast a good preacher. Mourn for your sin, put pride to death, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Search out wise voices to speak the kingdom to you. Be humble and be willing to listen to them. Invite correction, apologise, repent. Open up and share in prayer times. Form a prayer triplet. Step out in faith. That's how you be good soil. Don't let the world sow its seeds into you. Don't listen to the message the evil one scatters. The evil one who says, well, a little bit of sin won't hurt. No one will find out. You deserve it. Everyone else is doing it. It's not wrong if it makes you happy. Don't listen to the messages that the devil scatters. That's the way to be good soil. And what it all boils down to, if you want to be good soil for the seed of the gospel, it's about making Jesus your king in everything and keeping him number one.
because the kingdom is worth it. The kingdom is a treasure. That's the point of the parables from verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom is so valuable, it is worth your whole life. Give your reputation for the kingdom. Give your time, give your energy, your prospects, give your family, your money, your influence, your comfort, give your future. That's what the kingdom's worth. It's worth everything and Jesus demands it from you. He demands everything. If you're just visiting today, if you're just checking Christianity out, that may sound a bit extreme to you. It may sound a bit cultish. But can I just say, you're probably surrounded by 10 or 20 people who have done just that, who have given up everything, who are giving up everything for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. And they're not disappointed. They're not missing out. Uh, They believe that Jesus and his kingdom is a treasure that's worth giving everything for. God's kingdom may look small, but it's growing and it's beautiful and it's good and it's making the world better. You can be part of that as God's kingdom grows in you, as you give everything, as you produce fruit. And you can produce people who are good soil as well as you scatter the seed. That's the point, I think, of the last thing Jesus says in this section. From verse 51, he comes to the end of his parables, seven parables, and he asks the disciples if they've understood. Have you got it? Have they given everything? Are they good soil? And they say, yes, we understand. And so Jesus says those strange words in verse 52. Therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed or or discipled about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, that's a parable on its own, isn't it? Uh, There's lots of opinions about what it means, but, but here's what I think Jesus is saying. The teachers of the law were experts in the old covenant, but now Jesus has come And he's discipling people in the kingdom of heaven. He's discipling the disciples who now understand, who are the new scribes, the the new experts, not just of the old, but of the old and the new. Uh, The disciples have heard, they've given everything they have to get this treasure. And now Jesus says, don't store it away. Uh, Share the treasure Bring it out. It's too valuable to leave locked up inside. It's like the owner of a precious painting who says, this is worth more than me just looking at it and who loans it to the National Gallery or Mona or whatever it might be so others can enjoy it. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do as well. You've got the treasure, take it out and share it. He's inviting us to be part of his kingdom, to grow deep, to let it grow deep into our soil to give everything for it and to share it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, there's, there's lots of tricky stuff here, but we thank you that we don't have to work it all out on our own. There are, there are plenty of people who've trod this way before us who can guide us. Uh, we thank you for church. Uh, we thank you for your, whole, your Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you for your promises that if any of us lacks wisdom and we ask for it, you'll give it to us. Uh, so we pray for all of us, especially for any who are still trying to puzzle these things out, that you will help us to understand, help us to trust Jesus, help us to give everything that we might know his kingdom and know the peace and the forgiveness that comes through him. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.